Matthew chapter 5, we are working our way through the Gospel of Matthew, and we come into this section where Jesus begins to teach and preach and heal, and we are going to be soaking ourselves in this experience for some time as we begin Matthew chapter 5. Have you ever been somewhere in which the values were so completely shocking to your, and contrary to your own? Traveled? temporarily, long-term, just been somewhere where you stepped into it in the, and you could just tell immediately that the values, the behaviors, the mores of the place that you were in were just completely contrary to your own. One of the more shocking experiences to our entire family was when we visited France, particularly Paris. Now, along the way in this trip, we had been to different European countries and the most, almost everybody spoke English, everybody was super sympathetic, really glad to have us there. And the French were the exact opposite. They were completely put out at my inability to speak any French whatsoever. Or that if I tried, it was so pathetic that I just shouldn't even try. Um, there was just like, we don't speak English here. We're not going to speak English here. You cannot speak English here. Why are you even here if you can't do, do this? And it was crowded. Oh, it was dirty. Paris is, sorry, it's just, it was just dirty. And all of it was just very overwhelming. Public transportation, foreign language, just all of it, just shock, you know. And you don't even have to, to leave the country, right, to have those, those kinds of experiences. When I was in my, my 20s, I took a trip from South Florida where we were, lived and worked in a church, and I flew to Princeton, New Jersey, um, to have a conference with other youth ministers that was in the Northeast, which the culture that I was in in South Florida, a lot of them were from the Northeast, so it made sense to go up there and kind of have a youth ministry cultural conference experience. And in our free time, it was like, hey, do you want to go to New York City? I'd never been to New York City. I got on a train, which was weird, and I got, went, you know, went into the city, came out of Penn Station, and it was just, it was shock and awe for me. I had never seen buildings like that. I'm from North, you know, West rural Mississippi. Um, I, um, I just, I couldn't believe any of it. And I think it was obvious because I was immediately harassed and absconded by a local asking me for money. And he like followed me a block. Like he could, like he was wearing me out he, in the culture shock. Like he was just, he was just there. And that's the phrase that I want you to think about is culture shock. It's like when you immerse yourself in another culture, you, you have this state of bewilderment, you have this state of distress, and that can manifest itself in, in different ways. Like when you step out of a subway for the first time in, in Manhattan, and you're, you're, you're almost like, wow. Like it's almost could be a source of delight for you, but it's still culture shock, or it can be total frustration and enragement. Like you can just rage against the culture, right? Uh, that's what that is. that is. That is culture shock. So in, in Matthew... We've been inundated for the first four chapters um, about the, the good news um, that Jesus really is Jesus. He is the Messiah. He's come to save people from their sins. And the very end of chapter 4, verse 23, Matthew gives us a sentence. Jesus began to go all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people." That sentence is the abstract for the next five chapters of what we're going to see in Matthew. Okay? Um, it's a summary statement of everything Jesus did in his ministry. It was preach, teach, and heal. But did you, did you catch the phrase, the good news of the kingdom? 
Okay? That was the content for Jesus' teaching. The good news of the kingdom, that was the content of Jesus' preaching. The good news of the kingdom um, was manifested physically in the form of his healing ministries um, that we're going to read about as we go through the Gospel of Matthew. So in chapters 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9, Jesus is teaching about the kingdom's values, the kingdom's culture, the kingdom's practice, and the kingdom of God is completely different than the kingdom of this world. It looks completely different than the ones you and I live in right now. The values are different. The priorities are different. The culture is different. The behaviors are different. The practices are different. So what we're looking at today, as we begin today, is just a long series of teachings, a longer series of stories that are illustrating for us the values, the priorities and the practices of the kingdom of God as opposed to the kingdom of this world, okay? This, the, the, the intent of chapters 5 through 9 is culture shock. It is, it is to make you feel like what it is to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, not a kingdom of this world, okay? That's Matthew 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9. So we're going to start today with Matthew 5, verses 1 through 3. Would you stand with me? We're going to read together um, the first of Jesus' teachings from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 1 through 3. When he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to you. May, you may be seated. So let's look at the setting here in verse uh, chapter 5. Look at verse 1. He saw the crowds. He went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples are, were coming. They came to him. So as Jesus was preaching, as Jesus was teaching, as he was healing, the crowd at one point got to such a place where he decided to withdraw up into the hill country, away from the water, up to in the hill country for a longer, more intentional, strategic teaching session. Okay, so that's what's taking place. And the phrase here says the disciples. So I don't want you to have in mind that that means like the 12, because that's not what it means in this, in this context. In this sentence, it is them, but it's also other people who at this stage are following Jesus as much as they can as he runs the circuit of the Galilee of the Gentiles that we talked about last week. So Jesus gets to this place, and he's got disciples, lots of disciples. And, there, and then later, we'll see at the end of chapter 7, there are there's a crowd that's even around them that are trying to, you know, like listen in and participate uh, in the teaching that they're hearing. And Jesus has this crowd up into the hill country and he sits down. Here I'm standing up as, so everybody can hear me. But in Jesus' time, the position of authority, the teacher would actually sit. This, this the guy who's sitting is the one who has all the authority uh, to, to teach. So that's the, that's the custom. He sits down in the position of authority, and he begins to teach about what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Those are the norms. Those are the values. What we call typically, if you grew up in church or read your Bible a lot, the Beatitudes, which is a word I've never really quite understood, but that's what they're called, the the Beatitudes. And if you look at verse 2, the first one that comes out of his mouth, he began to teach them saying, let me pause right there. 
How would you describe America to someone who had no concept of America? How would you describe what it would look like to be a citizen of America to somebody who has no idea what it means to be a citizen of America? How would you describe Middle Tennessee? Uh, how, how would you describe Blackman Baptist Church? What's the, you've got one opening shot to make an impression. What would you say? That's what we're reading here. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. It's theirs. Now, before we dive into poor in spirit, um, I I want to define the word blessed because Jesus is using this word blessed as a member of the kingdom of heaven, not as a citizen of the kingdom of this world. And the word means different things to different people, depending on your citizenship. Blessed, blessed. The Greek word for blessed is makarios. And it, as it turns out, I have learned, has a long and sordid history throughout secular and sacred literature, of which I will not bore you, okay? But let's imagine that this word makarios is a coin, and it's got two sides, okay? And on one side of the coin, I'll call it the sacred side, it communicates this idea of approval before God, that to be blessed in the kingdom of God is to have or possess God's approval. The one who is approved before God is the one who is poor in spirit, and he, is in the, he or she is in the kingdom of heaven. That's what it means on, on that side. On the other side of this word coin, this crypto coin, is the idea of self-sufficiency. Okay, so the sacred side, you have this idea of approval before God. And on the, the secular side, the more common side, you have this idea of self-sufficiency. So the Mediterranean island, if you go to look at a map of the Mediterranean, there's an island called Cyprus. And in Jesus' day, this island was often referred to as Makarios Island, Blessed Island, okay? Uh, And the reason that the residents referred to it, those who lived there, referred to it as Blessed Island is because they didn't need to leave the island in order to get all of their needs met. Everything you needed to enjoy your life was right there on the island, okay? No import problems, no export problems. The weather's great. The geographical location is perfect should you want to go anywhere else. But on the island, you got it all, okay? It was a blessed island. So let's put these two ideas together onto one coin. The word blessed, as Jesus is using in this passage, means to be wholly satisfied with being approved by God. Blessed in the kingdom of God means to be wholly satisfied with having his approval. To be blessed is to be content with being in the kingdom with the king and his love for you and his approval for you. What more could you possibly need in the kingdom of heaven than to be with the king who approves of you? Right? That's what it means to be Blessed, And immediately we're in culture shock because the idea of blessed means completely different in this world. We, we go about talking about being blessed. We mean something different so many times just as 
earthly people or as American people or fill in the blank of whatever culture you want to talk about, right? If blessed in the kingdom of God means to be wholly satisfied with being approved by God, blessed in the world, in the kingdom of this world, means never being satisfied in our constant pursuit of being approved by our own efforts or the accolades of other people. I'm blessed if I've accomplished a lot and people like me for it. I'm blessed if I've accomplished a lot and I've got a whole bunch of stuff in my house to prove it. I'm blessed if I've done all this, people like me, and I've got money to keep people liking me if I take them out to dinner enough. That's blessed in the kingdom of this world. If blessed in the kingdom of God means being wholly satisfied with being approved by God, blessed in the kingdom of this world means I'm never satisfied and I'm in constant pursuit of being approved by my own efforts or my own accolades. In the kingdom of God, blessedness is contained within who God is and what He has done. I'm approved. I'm with Him. What else do I need? In the kingdom of this world, I'm blessed with who I am, what I'm able to accomplish, what I'm able to gain, and what others think about who I am and what I've been able to gain. It's two completely different worldviews. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. We haven't even gotten to the actual culture of the kingdom of God yet, and we're already in culture shock. Because the very idea of blessedness, which is core to the very kingdom or culture, core to every culture, every kingdom, those two were, the, the two definitions, the two understandings are so radically different that we have to be very clear in defining that term before we describe the heart of people who live in the kingdom of God. So I want you to understand, blessed means I'm approved by God and that's all I need. Not, I need to work and gain approval and have everybody love me for it and have a bunch of stuff to prove it. It's two very different things. And you see this in, in lots of lots of ways. I want to give you one really, just, just one way to think about it because it's, you could, we, could, we could live here, but we're not going to live here. We've got, we got, we got a gospel to go through. Okay. Um, I, I was um, struggling with a decision to, to take a, a job 10 years ago from a senior pastorate of a moderate to larger sized congregation that had had lots of troubles for sure, but lots of gain and growth in the process and it had, uh, dest- it had destroyed me mentally and emotionally, and I was a wreck, okay? So I, I, was, I, was, I needed to escape, but I didn't want to escape because uh, of pride, okay? So just leave it, leave it at that. Now, how do I know that God is with me in that situation? Well, the, the job offer came through. It was a pay cut. And a good one, a good pay cut. Good pay cut. I'm gonna feel that one. And I was gonna lose money on the house, like 8% for what I'd paid. Not good, right? Not good. But in 2011, uh, 12, in that particular place, it was not a great housing market. And the very fact that our house sold within 30 days was a real gift, even if we were going to take like an 8 or 10% cut and a salary cut. Did I mention that it was hard? Okay. How do I know that I am blessed in that experience? I cannot tell you how many people came to me and said, well, that's how you know the Lord is blessing you, Rob, because your house sold in 30 days. What's the definition of blessed? 
prosperity. A lack of difficult circumstances. That is a definition of blessedness that is strictly according to the things of this world. Now, don't hear me. Listen, hear me say. Contentment. Remember, I said contentment. Holy content. Regardless of my circumstances, regardless of my trials, I am approved by God, and therefore I am blessed. Right? That is the definition of blessed. Does the love of God and the approval of God often result in more circumstantial circumstances of joy and blessing that we can then rejoice in God in? Yes. And one of those might be my house selling in 30 days when it shouldn't sell at all. Right? But I don't determine God's blessingness on my life by my circumstances. I determine it in my life based on Him and His love for me in Jesus. That means I'm blessed. You see how this manifests itself? You're always blessed in Christ. I'm gonna, I'm, we're going to do that so many times. It might manifest in other circumstances, but in the kingdom of this world, God only blesses you if my circumstances warrant it. That's not what I'm going to look to to determine myself as blessed in the kingdom of God. I'm going to look to the cross. I know God is for me because He took care of my sin. What else could I need other than heaven and Jesus? Right? If you don't remember that when your circumstances are terrible, and they will be if they haven't been, you will think God doesn't love you. You will think that He is not for you. You will forget the gospel, and that's where you know He is with you and He is for you. Okay? Blessed. Okay. That's what it means to be blessed. Blessed are who in the kingdom of heaven? Verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The people who are poor in spirit are the ones who have citizenship in the kingdom of God, and they own it. It's theirs. They reign with Christ in it. Blessed are who? The poor in spirit. So if you want to be a part of the kingdom of God, if you want to be a citizen in God's kingdom, if you're going to find satisfaction in God's approval of you, if you want to be blessed in the kingdom of God way, then here's what you have to do. And it never stops. You must first and continually and consciously acknowledge your unworthiness before God. If you want to find your satisfaction in God's approval of you and enjoy it for eternity, then you have to in an ongoing way, first, continually and consciously, acknowledge your unworthiness before God. It is natural, which is to say it is expected of people who live in the kingdom of this world to want to justify ourselves and demonstrate our worth to God based on our talents, based on our skills, based on our followers, based on our productivity, based on our resume, etc., right? That is the way of blessedness of the world. Blessed are people. Blessed are the, not poor of spirit, but blessed are the talented. Blessed are the people who make much of themselves. Blessed are the people who are incredibly skilled and want everybody to know it. Blessed are the people who have followers. Blessed are the people who get stuff done. Blessed are the people who have the resume that, wow, that's who's blessed in this world. But in the kingdom of God, blessed are the poor in 
spirit. Blessed are the people who continually and consciously acknowledge their unworthiness before God because then they can find their worth in His approval, not their own efforts. In the kingdom of God, there's just no way to understand yourself apart from emptying yourself. You can't know who you really are until you lay all of you down before God. All of Psalm 51 reflects this, but verses 16 and 17 hit it right on the head. David said, You do not want a sacrifice, or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart, which you will despise what? An attempt to earn it with a sacrifice, an attempt to, to, to earn it with a burnt offering, so to speak. Anything that you do to try and validate your self-worth to God based on your efforts and talents and skills and work and blah, 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 all the things that you do in this world to be blessed, you try and do that before God, you're not going to be blessed. If you want to be blessed, you have to empty yourself. You've got to empty yourself. You've got to empty yourself. Poverty of spirit. And you see this all through the Bible. Abraham, Genesis 18, I have undertaken to speak the Lord, I who am just dust and ashes, empty of self, therefore blessed. Jacob, Genesis 32, I'm not worthy of the least of all the steadfast love and all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. Boy, did his circumstances break him into a place of poverty of spirit. And he was blessed. First Chronicles 29, David, who am I? What is my people that we should be even able to offer willingly for all things come from you and of your own is what we're given to you? I don't have anything except what you give me. It's a poverty of spirit. First Kings 3, 7, Solomon. Solomon, could anybody brag about his wealth and his productivity? What does he say? First Kings 3, God, you've made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am a little child, I don't know how to go out or come in. I got nothing. He's literally got everything. He's the most powerful king on the planet, but he's got poverty of spirit. Job, chapter 42, in the midst of his great suffering, he said, I'd heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you, therefore I despise my Self and I repent in dust and ashes. This is after he had been pushing God, pushing God, and trying to justify himself before God in his pain and suffering. And then when God explains to him exactly what's, well, not exactly, but everything about himself, what does Job see? I am dust and ashes. Poverty of spirit. And he was blessed. Isaiah Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. John the Baptist, he must increase, I must decrease. Paul, remember in 1 Timothy 1.15, he told Paul, he told Timothy, I am the chief of sinners. Paul, you wrote the New Testament for crying out loud, or some of it. I'm the chief of sinners. No one 
who is following Jesus, no one who is engaged in the, in the citizenship of the kingdom of God, no one who sees God walks out there and goes, man, God was sure glad to see me. I was really impressive. That is not the blessed person in the kingdom of God. The blessed person is the one who is poor in spirit. Poor in spirit. You will not find anything more antithetical to this world than this verse right here. There is nothing this world values more than self. Self-assurance, self-absorption, self-actualization, self-applause, self-appointment, self-assertion, self-centeredness, self-composure, self-conceit, self-confidence, self-contentment, self-defense, self-determination, self-discovery, self-enrichment, self-esteem, self-exploration, self-fulfillment, self-glorification, gratification, self-help, self-image, self-importance, self-indulgence, self-interest, self-justification, self-love, self-made, self-observation, self-opinionated, self-perception, self-pity, self-portrait, self-possession, self-preservation, self-pride, self-realization, self-reliance, self-respect, self-revelation, self-righteousness, self-seeking, starting, self-subsistence, and self-sustaining. I stopped at the essence. We don't just take selfies. We are selfies. And blessedness in the kingdom of this world is found when we believe in ourselves, make much of ourselves, and live for ourselves. But blessedness in the kingdom of God is found in the emptying of self and believing in God as he's revealed to us in the scriptures. In Sunday school this morning, we are in 1 Peter 1. You can, you, can, you, can, you can hear this in Peter's language. I just I, I read it earlier in our confession. Said, For you know that you were redeemed from your, what does he call it? Empty way. What a great word. You were redeemed from your empty way of life that is filled with perishable things like silver and gold. That's an empty way of life. What is a full way of life? Verse 19, one that treasures the precious blood of Christ, who was foreknown before the foundation of the world, revealed to you, and through him you believe, who raised him from the dead, gave him glory, so that your faith and your hope, what are we talking about? Being blessed. Faith and hope in God is true blessing, not faith and hope in perishable things. That's blessed. People who are in the kingdom of God are blessed when they are poor of spirit. If you want to be a part of the citizen of the kingdom of God, you've got to empty yourself. Now, if you, just to be eligible to be a U.S. citizen, just to be eligible, this list is daunting. You've got to be 18 when you file for the application. You have to have been a lawful permanent resident for three to five years, depending on which category they're going to put you in when you apply. You have to have had continuous residence and physical presence in the United States before you can even be eligible. You've got to be able to read, write, and speak basic English, demonstrate a good moral character. Did you know that? Uh, This is right off the USCIS website. Demonstrate a knowledge and understanding of U.S. history and government. Could any of us... Sorry. I just realized, like, I don't know. I 
Never mind. I don't know that my command of the U.S. history and government is enough to pass this test. Just to be eligible. Demonstrate a loyalty to the principles of the United States Constitution and be willing to take the oath of allegiance. It is so complicated that if you go to USCIS's website, there's actually a survey that you can take to help you determine whether or not you're even eligible and should bother. Right? It is hard. It is complicated. It is long. You have to earn it. A limited number of people each year can even become citizens. And I'm happy to say that becoming a citizen of the kingdom of God is much simpler. It is not easier, but it is simpler. And the first step is this. Become poor in spirit. You have to exchange a life of selfishness for a life of selflessness. You cannot be full of yourself You have to be empty of yourself, which is super simple and not easy. Because what we want Jesus to do, what we want Jesus to do is to come down and say to us, Rob, you can do it. I know you you feel helpless, but you can do it. But that's not what he did. He made helplessness the doorway to heaven. The thing that we hate the most about ourselves, says Martin Lloyd-Jones, is the very thing we have to embrace about ourselves because that puts us in a position to be filled with Jesus. That's culture shock. It's it's culture shock. But if you will consider Jesus' own life, maybe it will help you join the kingdom because Jesus existed in the form of God and did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And we'd come, he'd come as a man, and he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death on cross. So there's no argument, is there, that Jesus is the single most influential person to have ever existed? No one else is even close, and he did this by emptying himself, assuming the form of a servant, becoming obedient to the point of death on a cross. So no surprise then that if we want to be a part of Jesus' kingdom, we have to do the same. We have to be empty of self. You can't be full of Jesus if you're full of yourself. And if you are a Christian, you totally get what I'm saying, but that doesn't make it easy. You get the fact, you feel the fact, you are a citizen of the kingdom of God, and you are living in the kingdom of this world. You're, you're, it's an already, not yet, thing, right? You're, you, you're a kingdom of God, but you're living in this world, and, you're, you're, and to make it double-ish, you're used to being you, you, a citizen of this world. And so that's hard. You have contrary values living. Your mores are different. Your values are different. Your behaviors are different. The way that you live your life is different than everybody else's. And it's like you're always living in culture shock. Okay. Which is why I said that to be poor in spirit is to continually acknowledge your unworthiness before God. You are, what's that old song? um, You are a poor wayfaring stranger. I can't remember the rest of the words, but 
But that's what, you're, that's what it means to be a Christian right now. If you are living according to the kingdom of God, your value is poverty of spirit in a world that is full of self-spirit, okay? The world's over here taking selfies and doing TikTok and doing all their stuff, making much of itself, trying to get followers, trying to get attention, trying to get influence by making much of themselves. And here Jesus is saying the way to make influence and make headway and be the most influential person in the world is to make nothing of yourself and be full of him and therefore make everything of him. It's his world anyway. It should work, right? He didn't make it. So you're fighting against that, and, and then it's just internal, like you're fighting your own selfishness, right? And you're working for the fruit and struggling for the fruit, and, you, and there are just days where it's just not there. It's just not there. And here's what I would say to you. The fight, the fact that you're fighting is not proof that you aren't really a citizen of the new kingdom. Because that's the temptation, like... You fail, and 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 you're living according to the world's values, some days more than others. And you think, gosh, if I was really a part of the kingdom of God, I wouldn't have this struggle. No, 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 no. The fight is the fruit. The fight is the fruit. Only citizens of the new kingdom fight against the values of the kingdom of this world. The fact that you are fighting is the fruit of your traveling. Okay? So keep going. Empty yourself and be blessed in the emptying of yourself so that you can believe in Jesus. That's just the first value. We've got a long way to go. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for the truth of your word. We are thankful for Jesus' intentional time of teaching and explaining the kingdom of God. You said repent because the kingdom of God is, is near. In him, it was physically present, and then his return, it's coming permanently. And we who believe and trust, we have this struggle, you know, and so we just we pray that we'll continually empty ourselves and, and put our hope and trust in you. And I ask that you would do a work in the lives of unbelievers who are listening or here, listening and watching online, that, God, you, you, would, um, you would show them the, the, the contrary value of making much of self and, and working hard to feel validated by our efforts and instead just be empty and poor in spirit and embrace you who lived perfectly on our behalf. Super simple, not easy. Break our pride and help us believe and trust in you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.